The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, I've been, the last few times I've been here, I've been talking about um, a list, one of the lists of the Buddhist um, realm. <laughs> it's actually, in, it, it's a different list than many of the lists in that many of the lists in the, that we talk about are lists that the Buddha actually talked about. And this list is not found in the... Um, in the Buddha's words, but it is a um, a list that is found in the um, in the commentaries and is actually pretty thoroughly embedded in the tradition that we come from, um, the Theravadan tradition that comes from Southeast Asia, from Burma, Thailand, in particular, and. Um, in uh, in those countries, this list that I'm going to be ex- this list that I am exploring the the name of this list is called the Paramis, which um, the translation of that is the Perfections. It's a set of qualities that uh, are really understood to be cultivated in our daily lives in our daily lives, and for the um, um, communities in Burma and Thailand, the Buddhist communities in Burma and Thailand, often the practitioners that are not able to meditate in the monasteries will go to the monasteries and talk to their um, their teacher there, and he'll be asking them about their work with this list. So it really is a daily life practice list. It's a it's a list of qualities that we can. Uh, really say supports our ability to live and a life of integrity and that supports our life of waking up in the world as well as on the cushion. So the, the, the qualities are generosity, ethics, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, Truthfulness, determination, love or loving kindness, and equanimity. And so I've been talking over the past weeks about some of these qualities, and tonight I'd like to explore wisdom and energy, these two together. The word wisdom often evokes some sense of um, knowledge, perhaps, or um, I, when I first heard people ta- using this word in, in, um, around Buddhist practice, I was a little confused about what it meant. And so I'd like to take a little time to explore it. You know, there are different... Um, different forms of wisdom. And the first form of wisdom might be the, the wisdom of simple knowledge. You know, the wisdom that we learn as we read, as we hear things, just the wisdom that we use to navigate life with. Just, just the, the kind of, that kind of wisdom that comes in from books, from um, our parents, from school, so there's that kind of wisdom, and that kind of wisdom is applicable in our practice in that um, you know, the Buddha had a kind of a reframing of an understanding about what it means to be happy. And this is a key bit for us to actually take in as information first, because if we don't take in some of this understanding of kind of a shift of perspective the Buddha offered us, we, we, we won't know what we're doing. We won't know what the point is. And so, you know, really the, the wisdom of the Buddha, to start with, it offers us a worldview. It offers us a different perspective. And, and primarily that worldview is um, a, a view that helps us to understand how we might be happy. Buddhism is often framed through the Four Noble Truths. There is suffering. There is a cause of suffering. 
There is the ending of suffering and there is a path leading to the ending of suffering. Now, in that, it doesn't sound like it's talking much about happiness, perhaps. But um, the, the shift of perspective that the Buddha um, asked us to look at is where is it that we think we're finding happiness? And to reevaluate that, to look at that, because very often, or very much in our, mm, our culture, in our uh, way that we've been conditioned in our lives, pretty much most of us feel like happiness comes from getting what I want, from having people admire me or respect me, from being seen, from a feeling of belonging. Uh, There's a whole host of things that we um, attribute happiness to. And we go around trying to get those things. So that's, that's kind of our mode of operation. That's our worldview. I think very much our worldview is, you know, to some extent, you know, about how can I be happy? How can I find happiness in this, in this life? And what the Buddha is proposing is that, that, that our way of going about finding happiness is um, it's actually kind of upside down. He proposes to us that this mode of going after what we want is... Basically, it's conditioning a cycle. It's conditioning a cycle of we get something that we want, whether it's status or money or a, a, a good relationship or a nice house or, you know, so whatever. We get, something, we get something that we like. We get something that we want. And then we feel like, well, that's where my happiness is. We put our happiness out into those things in the world, those things that, that we have, and if conditions uh, shift the world so that those things alter, relationships change, there are accidents. I mean, this like nothing that we experience, nothing that we try to collect to us is permanent. It all is of the nature to change. It's all of the nature to, um, to end And so as we try to find our happiness out in the world in that way by putting our, basically putting our happiness onto the things of the world, putting our hopes for happiness onto the impermanent changing flux of the world, we find ourselves struggling. It's like, wow, that didn't work. I remember at one point in my life, it's like I've tried everything that I thought of to to find happiness and none of it is lasting None of it's working. What am I doing wrong? How am I, what am I, am I doing, you know, I felt it like I was doing something wrong. And it is just really the way it is. But we have put our happiness out there. We've put our, our, uh, our idea that that's where happiness can be found. And because of that, we struggle. So the Buddha actually suggests rather than looking for happiness out in the world, we look at the sources of our struggle. And when we struggle, we struggle about, wow, I, I didn't get that thing that I wanted. Like, I didn't get that thing that I or, or that thing that I wanted and I had. Well, it's, it's still here, but it's like, it's not providing the same kick anymore. And like, you know, yeah, I've got that nice new that nice new car or something, but, you know, it's just a car now, and it's not making me as happy as it used to. And so we go off trying to find something else to make us happy. And the Buddha suggests that we look at that process, look at what it is, where we are trying to find happiness, and uh, reevaluate where happiness can be found. And so this, this shift of perspective the Buddha offers us is about exploring um, what actually creates our struggles. And what creates our struggles is this um, pull, this pull outwards to want to have something 
or want to get rid of something, want to have something that's pleasant, have more pleasant, please, get rid of the unpleasant. So we're kind of on this wheel of trying to create or construct an environment that is the most pleasant that we can have it. And, and the, the practice or the, the, the shift of perspective that the Buddha is suggesting is that rather than looking at how we can accumulate the pleasant and get rid of the unpleasant, that we look at the process of the wanting itself, the wanting and the aversion, and to begin to explore what it means to want something and what it means to not want something. And what we discover actually, as we do this, is that the vast majority of the discomfort around the, uh, you know, the fact that we want something and we're not getting it, or the fact that we, we uh, want to get rid of something, the vast majority of the discomfort is in the wanting itself. And that if we, uh, we explore this and we look at the, the process that our minds go through, the uh, when we get something that we want, we get a little bit of pleasure from the having of that thing. But most of the pleasure that we get from the having, or the, 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 most of the pleasure that comes there, is because the wanting has gone away. Now this is not obvious. This is, this is something that is, is actually, it is revealed as we begin to look at our experience. And so this is a kind of a knowledge or information that the Buddha offers us. This is kind of this knowledge level of wisdom. He suggests, look at the, the, um, the pull to want to have something and want to get rid of something. Or the confusion that we have in our, in our minds about where happiness might be found. Look at that itself. Be, turn towards that experience rather than putting our attention out in the world, rather than putting our happiness out in the world, turn back towards the states of mind that want things to be other than they are and see what happens. Because those states of mind are also impermanent. And we'll see that when, if we, if we take this challenge, we take up this exploration, we, we begin to, to see that as the... As we see, we turn our attention away from what we want in the world or what we don't want in the world, and we just explore, what does it feel like to want something? We see that wanting is impermanent, and wanting will go away. And when that wanting goes away, there's no longer a problem. There's, there's a, a deeper sense of happiness that comes with the letting go of wanting things to be other than they are. Now this, this, um, this sounds like, and I, I want to include this bit of the, the Buddhist teaching here, it sounds in a way that this kind of um, let go of the wanting and just open to things as they are means that we don't do anything, that we never end up taking any, any action. Because partly I think we think that way because we've, we've been so motivated by greed and aversion for all of our lives that we can't even imagine where any action would come from if it doesn't come from wanting to have something or wanting to get rid of something. And so we, we, we don't really trust this, this, um, this teaching so much. So the, the, uh, the challenge is to explore this wanting to watch, to see it, and to, to explore partly it's that we, we see, can we not want what is already here to be other than it is? I mean, that would be a great relief because what's already here is already here. It's already here. And often the way we are motivated is we are dealing with this thing that's already here and we don't want it to be here and so we're reacting against that or we want to hold on to something that's here. We don't want it to go away. So we're, we're kind of trying to manipulate what's already here rather than just saying, okay, this is what's here. Rather than being reacted to it, open to, oh, this is what's here. Now, this is, how, this is where the wisdom begins to deepen. As we explore this, you know, the, the, the practice 
of exploring what is here right now, what is actually here right now, brings in a kind of, um, over time, (laughs) it brings in a kind of an intuitive wisdom that is not reactive to what is here already, but has a deeper kind of more responsiveness to what's here. One of the things one of my teachers says uh, is wisdom also acts. When wisdom moves from a level of just pure knowledge and it kind of becomes more integrated, and I'll talk about that just a little bit, becomes more integrated, then wisdom begins to motivate action. So our initial way of being in the world is that we're very much motivated by desire, wanting things, aversion, confusion. And as we begin to turn towards what's happening, what's actually happening, and begin to open to that, the, uh, the mind begins to understand it's like this right now and begins to kind of have the, the, the knowledge of what it might mean to act out of compassion, out of love, out of generosity, out of balance of mind, rather than from this constant kind of like always being off balance, needing to have this, needing to get rid of that. And so there is this possibility for this shift of perspective that leads to a... It's it's almost like we can't imagine what it would be like on the other side of greed, aversion, and delusion. What, What would lead us to act? And yet there are very beautiful, wholesome qualities of mind. These, this whole list, generosity, ethics, patience, truthfulness, loving kindness, equanimity, they all motivate action. They motivate skillful action. And so there's this, uh, the wisdom of the, of the Buddha is a, a kind of pointing to this shift of perspective of where can we find happiness. That happiness can actually be found from a deeper kind of letting go of needing things to be other than they are. And as we let go of that need for things to be other than they are, there is a kind of a natural manifestation of action. It, it's not. It's, it doesn't, it, it's not that we end up just, oh, you know, for instance, just as an example, you know, you're, you're walking down the street and, and you know, you see a child playing along and and you're kind of watching the child and then you see the child chase a ball into the street and you see a car coming. You know, the heart of wisdom and compassion doesn't go, oh, things as they are, child running into the street, car coming. The, The heart of wisdom and compassion goes, action, let me act to do something. So that action can come from compassion and wisdom and not from confusion or anger. So the, the, the possibility exists to shift our perspective in this way. So as we take in this wisdom, and it has to start from there, it has to start from you know, this, this first, in the, the Buddhist teaching, he taught the Eightfold Path, which begins with wise understanding, which is where we have to start. We have to understand what is, what is motivating our practice, what is motivating us to uh, look at our hearts and minds. Some of us come to this practice because we are struggling, because we are suffering. We want to be happy. We've uh, that was definitely my motivation, as I said a few minutes ago. It was like, I thought I'd tried everything. And it was only when I hit bottom that I was willing to, you know, explore something so radically different as, oh, anger's arising? Well, let me look at that anger. 
Let me see what it is to feel anger in this experience. Let me not look at trying to how to get rid of the anger or get back at somebody because I'm angry at them. But what is the feeling of anger? That was like, you know, I read about it. This wisdom came into the mind in the, in the form of reading a book that said, when you're experiencing difficult emotions, try turning and paying attention to them rather than acting on them. And my initial response was, how's that going to work? I did not understand how it would work. But because I had tried everything else, I was willing to experiment. And so I did. I began exploring. What does it mean to turn towards that? That's the shift of perspective. That's one way to describe the shift of perspective the Buddha is talking about. Rather than acting out on reactivity, turn and look at it. Explore the currents of reactivity, neither repressing them or acting on them, but opening to them with mindfulness, understanding that they are something that's happening here and now, to be aware of them. It was actually remarkably fast that my mind began to understand why that's valuable. It, I think it took a couple, a couple of days before I really got, oh, I see how this works. <laughs> this is helpful. And then, it, you know, deeper and deeper understandings of how it was helpful over time. So that shift of perspective, it starts by being something we take in just as knowledge. And then we implement it. This is where energy comes in. This is where the, the piece of energy comes in, that we take this uh, knowledge and we use energy to practice. The energy, this parami, this, this um, parami of energy is the energy directed towards, it's not just energy, any energy. Energy itself is a pretty neutral thing. You know, we can have energy that's directed towards um, being in a, in a fight and we can have energy that's directed towards opening our hearts and minds. And so the, uh, the energy of this practice, this, uh, this parami of energy, is the energy directed towards this shift of perspective. It's energy directed towards looking at experience, not from what can, I, what can I get out of life, what can I get and get rid of so that I can have the things that I want, but turning towards, oh, this is what's happening in my heart and mind right now. Neither repressing nor expressing, but opening to. And so the energy gets directed in that way. And this begins to allow that wisdom to penetrate more deeply. It becomes not something just that we know, but it it kind of, at first it becomes a part of our own intelligence. I would say that's the next level down of wisdom. That there's a kind of a way in which we understand how valuable this is. I mean, that like in my own story, my own practice, when I was exploring anger in the first few weeks and months of my practice, I began to understand kind of, I could see, I mean, there was some, some actual recognition of how it's valuable, and my intellect began working with that. It's like, oh, I see. This is helping me to not react, and so I'm not like spinning out in the anger. I'm no longer thinking about the person and what I'm going to do to them and how mad they're going to get and how happy I'm going to be that they're so mad. I mean, I'm no longer in that story. And the story, I could quickly see the story was feeding the anger. So that was some intelligence, you know, that, that there's a kind of a sense of understanding how it works. And as we practice further, it deepens even further and becomes kind of part of our being. The wisdom becomes, instead of being something we have to do or apply the teachings, it's just natural that this is our orientation to the world. It becomes more natural that we, when... When we experience a reactive emotion arising, we recognize, oh, look at that. Wow, that would be useful to pay attention to, as opposed to reacting to the reaction or thinking that we have to do something about the reaction. So it becomes much more integrated. 
And that's when the wisdom begins to kind of uh, take the lead in the practice. So the, um, I'll talk a little bit about energy more now. Um, you know, energy, this energy directed toward the practice is a, um, it's, it's directed towards, um, the, 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 one of the main, it's directed towards wisdom. It's directed towards realizing or understanding what wisdom is. And so this really is, the wisdom is the kind of guiding force behind our practice and the energy is oh, guided by that, that understanding. And so there's a couple of key definitions of wisdom that I just like to put out in the room right now. And one is the uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths. That is, uh, we, we should, uh, the, the teaching explores that, that it would be helpful to understand what suffering is. To, as we understand suffering, we begin to understand how suffering is put together. What's causing it, what's, what's kind of forming it. And we explore what it might mean to let go of that, what puts suffering together. This is one of the, the deep kind of teachings. It sounds very simple in a way, but it's, it's fairly profound that suffering happens in our experience. It's not random. It comes into being because of conditions. And there is some measure of um, possibility to with our practice to alter those conditions, to begin to shift the conditions of our mind. So there's that uh, understanding suffering, beginning to see the causes. And as we see the causes, the exploration is that we begin to let go of those causes. With the letting go of the causes... The suffering comes into being primarily through this pull to wanting things to be other than they are, either wanting to hold on to things that are pleasant, wanting to get rid of things that are unpleasant, being confused. And so with the the seeing that most of our dissatisfaction in life comes from the wanting itself, the, the dissatisfaction in life is the dissatisfaction. And that the exploration of, oh, this is dissatisfaction. The dissatisfaction is why I'm dissatisfied. It's not because I don't have that thing. The dissatisfaction is the dissatisfaction. That's kind of a, a kind of an amazing thing when we, when we get it. It's not about what we don't have. The dissatisfaction is the issue. And so when we begin to look at the dissatisfaction and we understand, actually when the mind begins to understand that the dissatisfaction is the dissatisfaction, the mind recognizes, wow, I'm doing this dissatisfaction. It's not necessary. It's not necessary to be dissatisfied with, with this experience. It, it may not be a pleasant experience, but it can be opened to with awareness. And opening to it with awareness brings a completely different perspective on the situation. It doesn't have to have dissatisfaction. It can have wisdom. It can be, it can be met with wisdom. And so the, the exploration of turning towards the dissatisfaction... Wisdom, it's like, you know, we can't do the letting go. We can't say, oh, there's dissatisfaction. Let me just put that aside. I mean, how many of you have success with that, you know? <laughs> Let me just stop being dissatisfied. But the, uh, the, the willingness to watch the dissatisfaction, this is where we bring energy. We turn our energy towards this practice of observing the dissatisfaction. And we uh, start to see, 
what the dissatisfaction is, is something in our own minds. And as the mind begins to understand that the mind is creating its own suffering, the mind begins to understand how to let go of that. It's not something we can figure out how to do. But the, uh, this, this shift of perspective that the Buddha offers us, this different way of looking at the world, this different choice of where to put our attention, essentially is what it is, rather than putting our attention on things that we want, putting our attention on the processes of body and mind that are happening now, that shift gives the mind an education. And it educates the mind so that it begins to, the wisdom grows and the wisdom allows the, the wisdom creates the conditions for the letting go. We can't do the letting go. But the conditions are created by this applying the energy, turning the energy towards, what's this? What's this? Another way to express that wisdom, I mean, the Four Noble Truths is really the, the I guess, the, the knowledge level articulation of wisdom in the Buddhist practice. In my own experience, kind of the, the inner experience of wisdom is the experience that the mind understands that what's happening in the moment is happening right now. That sounds like such a simple thing. But that the mind understands, oh, dissatisfaction is happening? That's a phenomenon that's happening here and now in this moment. That, uh, that wisdom doesn't believe the dissatisfaction to be anything other than a phenomenon that is impermanent, and unreliable. It doesn't believe a sense of, uh, of satisfaction of, oh, I finally got what, what I want. Oh, a feeling of satisfaction has arisen. That's happening now. It's, it's this, uh, this shift of, oh, this is the experience that's happening now. It's a phenomenon that's arising now. That's, that's the way wisdom feels from the inside. It's not, it's not an idea of, oh, understand suffering, let go of the cause, or, oh, greed, greed is uh, suffering, or aversion is suffering. It's this, oh, greed is arising in the mind right now. That's wisdom at work. And so it's that shift of perspective that allows the, the wisdom to go more, more deeply. And it takes energy. It takes this energy of directing our attention to, as I didn't quite remember how I said it a moment ago, but it's a shift of, oh, a shift of where we place our attention. That the energy, we have to apply some energy to um, redirect where our attention naturally goes because we have been trained and conditioned for years to put our attention out in the world and to try to manipulate the world to create our happiness. And we haven't been turning our attention towards... And what's actually going on inside is this kind of endless stream of wanting and not wanting and confusion and like, how do I fix this and how do I get rid of that and how do I change that? We haven't noticed that. We've been so oriented on the getting and the having and the fixing and the changing because that's been what we've been trained to do. That's been our conditioning. And so this, the energy needs to go to a shift from that outward directedness of the attention to what is this process of being a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? And so that's the shift of our energy. Is that the, the, the energy of where our attention goes, we shift it to a new place. And then in that process, we begin to understand certain currents of hab- habitual tendencies or currents of um, 
the greed, the aversion, the delusion, those currents in our mind tend to create struggle and suffering. We experience, when we actually, when we actually turn towards the inner flow of our states of mind, we experience directly that wanting itself already doesn't feel good, already feels like suffering. We definitely recognize that aversion feels like suffering. Aversion, the whole thing about aversion is unpleasant, right? I mean, it's like there's the unpleasant thing in the world, that's already unpleasant. Then there's our reaction to it. I don't like that, I don't want that. That's pretty clearly suffering. That's pretty clearly a struggle. And so we don't, we don't question that that's suffering. And yet we think the suffering is in the world. And so our attention is directed in how do I fix that, get rid of that, change that. And again, the perspective is what is it like to not want that? What is the experience of aversion like? With the experience of wanting, one of the surprises is often for people, that when we start to experience wanting itself directly, when we turn directly towards that, we, uh, we see that, you know, we often think of the wanting, where we're, oh, I actually just heard this, saw this thing the other day, something about where um, they, did, they did these experiments on monkeys where they're checking the, the dopamine, uh, oh, no, maybe it was rats, they're checking when does the rat get the most pleasure out of its um, out of its environment, and they did this experiment where they had the rats in this place where that when a light went on, they could press a lever and get food, and um, they tracked when the most the dopamine is kind of a, a chemical in the brain that is a kind of a predictor of pleasure. It's what, feel, it's what makes us feel good, apparently. And so when did, the, when did the rat have the most dopamine? When the light went on. The light went on, and it's like the rat goes, yep, I know this situation. I can press that lever and get my food. So that's when the pleasure happened was when they knew that the rat knew that it was about ready when it was going to get something. So that's like the pleasure of anticipation. That was the most pleasure, that was where the most dopamine happened. Actually, the dopamine dropped after they got the, the food. So the pleasure didn't really come from the food. It came from the anticipation of the food. And this is why we miss the suffering of wanting. Because we are so in that place of anticipating the pleasure of having something we want that we actually miss the fact that there's this feeling of wanting inside. We are, our mind is just is already out there in the world creating the situation. It's going to be so great when I get that thing or have that scenario that that's where a huge amount of the pleasure comes from. The actual getting of it is almost a letdown. And so the, it's hard to turn towards the feeling of wanting itself. But as soon as we do that, instead of focusing on that, you know, that scenario in our minds or focusing on where we think we're going to get the pleasure, if we turn towards the feeling of wanting, we see already there is suffering in the experience. So even as the mind is releasing that dopamine and saying how great it's going to be, it's already suffering. And yet the dopamine, the, you know, the, the pleasure of the idea is so powerful, it is masking the suffering of the wanting. Now, our, our kind of our normal way of dealing with this is like, well, okay, I'll just go for that dopamine hit and then when it goes away, I'll try to find another one. Okay, and then what can I want to want so that I can get that next, that next hit, I can get that next hit of pleasant? 
And so we're just like a, we're, we're like a, a squirrel and a squirrel, you know, a hamster in a hamster wheel, just trying to find the next place where I can get something to anticipate wanting so that I can get it. And then, oh, well, now I need to anticipate wanting something else. And we're missing the suffering of the wanting itself. Now, the, the initially, as we start to turn towards this, it's like, well, why would I want to do that? You know, isn't it better to just be in the fantasy and feel that, all those great feelings? There is kind of an, a middle place in our practice where it's kind of like we lose the, the joy of our usual habitual forms of happiness. And yet we haven't quite entered into the place where we deeply experience the happiness of the letting go. And so there is a place in the practice that needs trust. We have to keep applying that energy to the practice. It needs some trust. But what we, we begin to recognize that as we turn our attention to that wanting, we let go of trying to get the thing that we want, perhaps, and just turn our attention to the wanting. When we feel the wanting release, which it will, because wanting is another impermanent phenomenon, if instead of focusing on the thing that we want, we turn to the wanting itself and feel the wanting release or feel the aversion release, when we feel that release, that is a kind of pleasure that is so far better than that pleasure of getting what I want. It's a different quality. It's a different It's a whole different level and depth of happiness that comes from that letting go of the wanting, of of seeing the wanting release, basically. We we bring our attention to that, that wanting, that dissatisfaction. We see the dissatisfaction release and there is a deeper kind of happiness there. And so there... And this is the, you know, these currents of wanting and aversion. This is where we direct our, our energy towards. We, we turn towards understanding these currents. As we understand these currents, the mind begins to understand how to let go of them. And a whole different set of qualities of mind begin to arise. Love, compassion, balance of mind, concentration, equanimity, joy, a whole different set of emotions that are not reactive emotions, but that are emotions of the heart that can let go of needing things to be other than they are. And so these two, wisdom and energy, they they fuel each other. They support each other. We get a little bit of wisdom. We hear a little bit of wisdom. We start to apply it. We we use the energy to direct towards, oh, you know, like, like me, that first thing. Well, okay, I read this book. It's like all I understood out of that book was this one little bit. Try to pay attention to your emotions rather than acting on them. That was the little bit of wisdom applied my energy to that. There was some understanding that grew from that. So wisdom deepened. From that deepening of wisdom came an inspiration to keep applying the energy. There's one point in my, in my first few months of practice where there was such a clear seeing into the whole structure of where my mind was running off into its pattern of anger. It was so clear And it was so mind-blowing that in that moment, I thought, wow, this is the most powerful stuff I've ever seen in my life. And I know I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. So that deepening of wisdom fuels the energy. And that energy just keeps deepening the wisdom. And so it moves from this intellectual level, this knowledge level, through, the, through the, uh, the level of intelligence and into the level of understanding. 
But it doesn't happen just by reading. This kind of transformation of the wisdom happens because we engage and apply our, our energy towards this, this understanding. So that's probably enough for me. <laughs> Any uh, comments, thoughts, questions, reflections? Yeah. Hi. Hi. This one. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Andrea Maureen. Nice to see you. Um, so um, I'm thinking, at least for me, that is an unknown place. Wisdom is an unknown place? Um, the not wanting. Ah. Yeah, so and, it's, and it's, of, it's unknown until we start to explore it. Exactly. And so the way, the way into it is to, oh, wanting is here. This is what wanting feels like. Y- yeah, and I've been, I've been at that state for, for a while, and, and kind of part of me, that's why I'm saying that, um, that it's an unknown place, because I, part of me fears that. Like, fears okay. the fears the not wanting. Yes. Uh huh. That that fear of the not wanting is um, is based on concept. Again, it's kind of like we cannot conceive of what it would be like to not want, right? And so, yeah. because of that idea, that's it, that that's where the fear comes from. And so, it's kind of like we have to make a leap of faith, in a way, right? That. Um, Okay, what might it mean to... I mean, we can't, we can't put ourselves in the place of not wanting. But we can put ourselves into... We can explore, oh, this is what it feels like to want. This is what it feels like to have wanting. And then to, you know, to, to watch that, to explore that, to explore that terrain. And over time, it's not something that will happen quickly. But over time, those patterns of wanting get weaker because they are being seen with wisdom. And so it's like you don't have to tell yourself, you can't tell yourself, I'm going to put myself in a place of not wanting. I mean, it's just not possible. We can't do that. If we were to try to do that, it would be some idea of what we think it would be to not want. And so the only way in is to allow the the wisdom to begin to... uh, let the patterns of wanting loosen. And when those patterns of wanting loosen enough that you actually see them fall apart, there will no longer be any fear of not wanting. Well, what I'm seeing is that um, uh, a, a lot of discomfort there, yes, there starts is a coming lot of discomfort, up. Yes. And um, painful things start coming up. And... Um, I see that I've been using, because I've been observing it for, for a while, and what I see is that, that the wanting and the pursuing and is, is kind of a, it's a, it's a cover. Uh-huh. For something that feels uncomfortable? Yes. Yeah. And so that's, that's often, I think, the case. In fact, at one point the Buddha said that, you know, when there's something unpleasant happening in our experience, such as a state of discomfort... He said, the only thing a normal person knows how to do is to pursue pleasure, to get, to, to get rid of that. That's the only thing a normal person knows how to do. And so this is, again, this is that pointing to this whole, like, 180-degree shift of perspective. The Buddhist asks us, might you be able to sit with that discomfort? This is what it feels like to be uncomfortable instead of pursuing the pleasure so you don't have to feel the uncomfortable. It's so counterintuitive to think that the way through or the way towards the end of the discomfort is through it. It's very counterintuitive. 
but it, it is that it's kind of like so there's discomfort here and it's like you know, I kind of had this image of the of the practice and the wisdom being like this uh, thing the water seeping down into the system and it's just slowly percolating down and it goes through all of that discomfort and then as it's like all the way through it's like the discomfort over time the discomfort releases and that's the, that's the leap of faith we have to make actually that our normal strategy is actually reinforcing the discomfort you know it's we're we're avoiding the discomfort by going towards the pleasant and in 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 a very um a real way that by avoiding that discomfort, it strengthens the discomfort. It's it, it's like buying into the discomfort, mm. and so it's it's kind of like that. You know, you have to go through for release. It gets it gets overwhelming. If it and, gets overwhelming, we need to take a break. <laughs> yeah, if it gets overwhelming, we need to take a break. So you know, set it aside. Not not go there. So it's like you can take it in small doses. It does have an impact taken in small doses. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had one stretch of time where I saw every time I tried to turn my attention to a particular anger, I would just get spun out and I would be overwhelmed. And so it's like, oh, there's, okay, there's just the beginning of that anger. Yep, not now. Let me, you know, I see paying attention to that is leading to um, spinning out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to put my attention on something else. I'm going to like, you know, just take a walk right now and let my attention, let, leave that be, not repress it, but not also um, engage with it. And that movement over the course of a couple of years, that pattern of anger vanished while I wasn't looking. Actually, that, that was my next question. Yeah, it how, vanished how long, while I wasn't how looking. <laughs> how long does it take? Because I've been doing it for a while, and 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 yeah, you say when 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 will it? And you know when <laughs> you know it's kind of like I read somewhere that it takes courage. It, it courage is actually and, another word for this word energy. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It does take courage because you've not been there before. Yeah, and yeah. so then, but it will come, and so then um, I say. And patience is patience <laughs> is the next parami. That's what we need is patience because we d- we don't know when it will come and we can't we can't force it to come. Thank you. So, thank you all. We need to stop.